Hello, welcome back to the Saints Prime podcast. And boy, do we have a special episode for you today. I mean, this doesn't happen very often, but Harry's pulled some strings and we've got a very special surprise for you today. You can probably tell it by the title already, but Harry, come on, give us some background. How'd this happen? Well, I was just looking around and I wanted to celebrate 10 years of us getting promoted from League One to the Championship. And what a better person to ask than the captain, Dean Hammond. And he was more than happy to sit down with me for about 20 to 25 minutes to talk about that season. Yes. And uh, Harry's asking the majority of the questions. I sat in like a little fly on the wall to make sure everything went all smoothly. But yeah, Mikey and Jamie, they're going to have a listen to it now with you guys as well and see what happened. So, Dean, thank you very, very much for joining us. I can't believe it's it's 10 years since promotion from League One. Before we get going with that, I, I was doing my market research, as I, a lot of the time I like to do before doing interviews like these. And I'm always very interested in like players after their career. And I was listening to your podcast this morning with Mark Schwarzer. Uh, I was talking to a former Derby player a couple of weeks ago about his career after and going stuff into fashion and things like that. And I, I looked all over and you seem to be doing a bit of everything. So sort of what, <laughs> what led you to do all those decisions with podcasts, with fitness and with the punditry of Southampton as well? Well, it's, it's a great question, really. I must admit, uh, I found the transition difficult uh, when I left the game. Um, I'm not going to hide away from that and had a, a few personal issues and, and challenges that I wasn't expecting and probably wasn't prepared for. Um, but no, I just I'm taking the action to try a lot of new things and, and find new new direction in my life. And um, one thing I always had in my football career was was passion, and I love doing it. I love being a footballer, and um, has its ups and downs, of course. But um, I loved it, and I'm trying to find that again within my life. Um, and and that's why I'm I'm probably trying many things and different things to to try and find that connection and love doing the the stuff for Southampton. Um, obviously love doing a little bit for Leicester and, and talk sports. So that's growing. Analyzing the game and talking about the game is 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 one of my passions 100 percent Um and then the, the podcast is, you know, is exactly what we're talking about now, life after the game, what happens when the game finishes and just speaking to former professionals, current professionals and trying to get their views on um, what helps a good career, what helps the transition um, and what message we can give out to the younger generation so they can learn from our lessons. I don't like to call them mistakes, but learn from our lessons and and, and maybe expect what's coming um, because I think that's huge. And the more us, us men can talk, it is better because we're not great at talking. We like to hide our emotions most of the time. Um, and the fitness stuff is something that I've always loved. Loved it in my career. Um Loved it since I finished and something that gives me real routine and structure in my life. So, yeah, that, that's where the fitness element comes from. And if there's got to be a favourite out of the three, is there one that you're really, really enjoying at the moment? Oh, you can't ask me that, can you? Um, <laughs> no, I, lo- I love them all, I must admit. And one thing I'm passionate to do and where I think my direction is heading is I'm going to combine them all. That's what I want to do and, and trying to be able to combine them all to help as many people as I possibly can. So I'm not going to pick a favourite, even though you've asked me, but I, I want to combine them all and, and kind of mould it into one, I don't want to say service, but something that I can share and help people with. Um, that That's my, I think I've started to find my passion and that's where I'm headed. 
And, and you were talking about wanting to stay within football and that's that's something that, you know, all Saints fans, like they loved your time here. And I can't believe it was 10 years since that League One promotion. How, how does time fly like that? I know, it's crazy. It really is. I mean, it doesn't seem 10 years ago. Um, the memories are still fond in, in my heart and um, can still remember a lot about the um, that that particular season. Um, it was fantastic. It really, really was. But 10 years ago, yeah, I'm shocked. And but a lot's happened in that 10 years, but it does seem as though um, it was yesterday. And from the start of the season, when Nigel came in, obviously there was a manager replacement in September. Did you did you feel that, that this was going to be a promotion season after just missing out the last season because of the points deduction? Yeah, 100%. That was the target at the beginning of the season. You know, Alan Pardew was manager at the time. Um, again, it was the aim to, to get promoted after a reasonably successful season, the previous season, in terms of winning the, the, the Paints Trophy and, and finishing seventh after the points deduction and then finishing the season really, really strong. And the, the squad that we started to put together, um, the players we'd signed, there was real belief within the group. Um, there was an expectation, I think, from the fans for the first time. I think the season before we got a little away a little bit lightly because the club was the fans were just happy that the club was saved and we were moving in the right direction now. Um, but yeah, we didn't start the season very well at all, to be honest. Um, and Alan lost his job, um, surprisingly, I must admit, um, after a 4-0, I think it was 4-0 away when at Bristol Rovers. Um, and then Nigel came in and um, didn't know a lot, a lot about Nigel personally. I played against his teams at, at Scunthorpe, so um, obviously knew him within the game, but didn't know him personally. And you now he brought a real good vibe to the football club and a real positive mentality that we probably needed at that time. Put some belief back in with it within the group, changed the style of play, um, brought a new philosophy to, to the football club. And us as players, we bought into it. We really, really did because we were... Hungry for promotion. You know, there were some talented players within that group. There really, really was. And we wanted to, you know, prove how talented we were, how good we were to, to gain promotion. And unfortunately for us, we were we were trying to play catch up for to a really, really good Brighton team who were exceptional that season. So that made it difficult. But no, it was, it was brilliant. And the, yeah, we expected to get promoted. We really did. And you talked about Nigel there. Was it from day one that, things changed or did it take that within the dressing room did it feel like it took a bit of time before everything sort of exploded yeah it did it did take some time um I think you know Nigel came in and we had a team meeting he introduced himself he met the players he he kind of mapped out what he was expecting and what he wanted from us and like every manager does everyone starts on a level level pegging then you're all going to get the opportunity um, and it kind of started from there, but no, it didn't. It didn't click and play straight away. I think our first game we played away at MK Dons and lost one nil, two nil. I think we then we then drew a couple of games. I don't think we won within Nigel's first four or five games. So, but there was a lot of work, hard work going on behind the scenes in terms of what the fans wouldn't have seen. You know, tra the training methods changed, um, the intensity we worked at changed, um, the preparation and recovery um, after games and training changed. Um, so they take a bit of time to to, to really be implemented and, and to feel the real uh, benefits. But, you know, the more we were doing that, the more we were understanding what Nigel wanted from us. Um, once it clicked, it clicked and, you know, there was probably no stopping us there. Um, and I think if we'd started the season 
with Nigel and had a pre-season with him, we definitely would have won the league. And speaking about him there, from a fan's perspective, we always see the positive man. We always see someone that sort of motivates the fans. And even at Charlton now, we sort of, I think me and Ollie are both the same, the fact that we always keep an eye out for him. Was he the same in the dressing room? Were there things that people didn't see? No, he was. I mean, Nigel's Nigel. He was very positive like that around around the training grounds. Um, he would like to one thing he was good at was involving the players he wanted the players opinions he wanted to hear the players voice he wanted to give us a voice in, in, the, in a constructive way in a right way but he was you know he's very consistent in his message I think that was one uh, one of his real uh, qualities very consistent didn't get too high didn't get too low um, and I think that that helped the group and helped us with consistency in, in our performances so no what what you guys would see was very much what Nigel was. Obviously, he was a little bit different at times and there was moments within um, the dressing room and the, the training ground that he could be a little bit more uh, assertive, should we put it that way? Um, but no, his he was very much on preparation. What you do during the week will um, obviously benefit your performance uh, at the weekend. But um, like I mentioned, there was, there was a couple of moments. I never... Never really saw Nigel lose his temper. Never really saw him lose control, except for probably once away at Brighton um, that season uh, when we were 1-0 down at half-time. I remember him kicking uh, one of the containers which had all the kit in in and and losing his temper. And remembering thinking, okay, I've not seen that before, but it just showed the passion inside of Nigel and and what it really meant to him. And we ended up winning the game 2-1. So he definitely had that side to him, but we didn't see it too often. I was going to say, because of that that Brighton game, and you did come back in that, and that's one of the most, I'd say, iconic games. Was that switch because of that reaction? Because it didn't happen all the time. Did that sort of make the people in the dressing room go, okay, right, let's let's fight for this even more now because of such a, a unique thing that you didn't really see very often. Yeah, potentially, like I mentioned, it had an effect because we were, we were all surprised, to be honest. I think we'd actually played reasonably well in the, in the first half, but we were 1-0 down. I think Raddy had a, a short back pass and, and Ashley Barnes got in and, and scored. Um, and... No, obviously the importance there, there was a real rivalry between the two the two clubs. Well, I don't think that was between the players. I think it was between the two managers. I don't think the managers really liked each other, respected each other, I think, but don't, different views on life. And I worked under Gus later on, so they are very, very different. Um, but yeah, I think the game was really important. You know, Nigel was getting a little bit of stick and abuse from the Brighton fans and uh, there was an atmosphere before the game. You have to go into... Um, the referee's room, the captain and Nigel is usually the captain and an assistant manager, but Nigel always used to come in as a manager to introduce himself to the referee. You have a chat and explain the game, what the, how the referee's going to manage it, what he expects. And there was an atmosphere in there, I must admit, which I've never experienced before because it's usually quite calm in there and quite like friendly. You know, everyone, how you doing? You're all right before the game, before it all starts. Uh, and their assistant manager, Charlie Oakway, uh, who I used to play with when I was younger and obviously worked under him when I went back, is is a character. Uh, he's quite aggressive himself. And there was a few silent moments and a few uncomfortable moments within that 10 minutes you're in the dressing room. Um, and I think that just set the tone for the day, if I'm honest. And probably there was a bit of a build-up in Nigel and he just wanted to really show us at halftime that, look, this is important here. Not just because we need the three points to get promoted, but, you know, they, they're champions and 
we're losing and we we expect more from you. So yeah, it did have an effect and we won the game two one in in brilliant fashion. It's always great to win late on, I must admit. And you're talking about sort of you as a captain going in, into that room during that season and really in the Saints as a whole. What, what sort of captain were you? Because there's a lot of different approaches and how important do you think your role was in you know, a very successful season? Well, I wouldn't say I was one that would give massive speeches in dressing rooms. I wasn't one that's going to suddenly, I don't know, dig people out and be really aggressive with them within the dressing room. I think I was a captain that led by example on the pitch, led by example on the training ground. Um, I wouldn't ask anyone to do anything I wasn't willing to do or could do myself. Um, so I think I led by my performances and reasonably calm off the pitch, um, not so much on the pitch, um, wanted to win and expected I think I expected more of people on the pitch than I did off the pitch. Um, and I made that I made people aware of that, if, if that makes sense. And off the pitch, just try to be a calm presence and just try to be there to support people. But on the pitch, yeah, demanded quite a lot, um, especially in, in game situations. And like I, I mentioned, I think I was one that would set the tone um, and, and lead by example and just keep things and, and make people aware of how important this is and, and during the game situation, which in my opinion is is the most important time. You think in dressing rooms, people have different preparation, different routines to to get themselves ready for the game. And they don't always need someone there shouting in their face, trying to get them motivated because it can have the opposite effect. And so I didn't really believe in that, if I'm honest. Um, I, I just was more very much, okay, well, I'll be for there, there for you during the game. And I think my role was, and I think throughout my career, understanding myself and reflecting my career now, I think I was a player that made players around me better. Um, whether that was helping them, doing extra work for them so they could express themselves, making them feel good about themselves, increasing their confidence. I think that's what my role was to make people feel better about themselves. And I made players better. Um, I think that was my major role, especially at Southampton. I've got to say, I think he must have rubbed off on Adam Alana quite well because I was listening to him, a podcast with him, Laura Woods, and Baywack in Fenway, the Super Six podcast. He he said that he approaches it in the exact same way, and he was one of many talented players in that dressing room. Out of all of those, did did you know that a lot of them were going to make it to the top? And there was was there any at the time that really stood out? Oh, well, how long you got? Um, <laughs> it, uh, yeah, look, you can you ne you never know you never know because there's so many different factors in terms of becoming a top top player, but in terms of ability. I mean, Adam Lallana is outstanding. I mean, the first time I saw him train, I was like, well, Morgan Snyderlin as well. Um, fantastic player. Um, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, again, amazing player. Um, and it wasn't just the younger players as well. You know, Ricky Lambert was exceptional. And one thing that probably, I don't know if the fans know or um, it is publicised, the amount of when Ricky came into the football club, how hard he worked on his fitness. You know, he... He lost a lot of weight. He got himself in really good condition and that came from doing extra training. That just didn't happen. That came from Ricky understanding that he needed to um, put better nutrition in his body. And, you know, he used to work, when he first came into the football club, he'd be in training with the fitness coach in the gym, on the bike, doing weights before training. 
because he wanted to get the best out of himself. And that was a, a switch in his mentality. And I think that's why he went on to have such an outstanding career because his ability was never in question. Same with Jose Fonte. You know, Jason Punchin was one of the best players I ever played with. His ability was ridiculous. Like, really, really was up there with Adam Nalana. Um, so there were some top players in that group. And one thing they all had in common, I would say, were two things. They're all really good people, which helped. And they were hungry, hungry for success, hungry to do well for Southampton, hungry to progress their careers and hungry to be successful. And that kind of just, if you've got a group of people like that, you, you rub off on each other and you just kind of, and you're heading in the same direction. You've all got the same focus. Um, it really works. And I think that's why we were so successful. Um, it was a great group of lads and there was different different personalities in there, but players like Calvin Davis and Rally Jaidi and, David Connolly doesn't get mentioned much, but again, what a player. Um, and he set the tone in, in the dressing room and, and training ground a little bit different from myself. He would let you know in no uncertain terms if things were not to the right standard. And you need that within players. Paul Watton, again, when I first came into the f- football club, brilliant. Led by example, controlled the dressing room. So there was huge talent in that group, not just football, not just football ability. Um, and I think we all just rubbed off on each other and I think that's why we're so successful. Do you think that for a successful team you need a bit of everything? You need the really young players that are hungry for it, you need the experience, you need the leaders, you need the the players in their prime as well. Do you think Saints were successful at that time because they sort of had a bit of absolutely everything? Yes, I think that comes from obviously recruitment, that comes from the manager um, being able to um, select that that group and put that group together. I think that's where management comes in and why the best managers are the best because they put a group of players together that almost manage themselves. Um, and I think we did have a, a bit of everything. But one thing we had which helped and I think helps in life now and something I try to keep to, we knew where we were heading. We had a focus. We had a plan. We had a vision. We had a purpose. We were trying to get to the Premier League. It wasn't just right, we'll turn up for this season. What are we going to do? Well, we'll see how we play. We might win a few games. We might not. Could we get to the playoffs? It was no, right, we're going to get promoted. We're going to get promoted. And that really, really helped. But yeah, we had the younger players coming through with the talent and the enthusiasm that, that kept you on your toes. So were cheeky as anything. You had the, the you know, players in their prime that had a bit of experience but still wanted to really push on and be successful in their careers and, and go as high as they could. And you had the experienced players in there that had seen their, have been there, done it, could help you and support each other. So, look, I'm not going to say, and I'm not going to sit here and say, look, we're all best friends in the dressing room because I don't think that ever happens, whatever industry you're in. But we fully respected each other and got on very, very well. Um, and I think that helped as well. But yeah, we had a real good blend, really good blend. And I probably, I probably know the answer to this because you, you're the ultimate professional, but. When did you know, before it was official, when did you know that you were going to get promoted? Because the same podcast I mentioned earlier with Akin Fenwa, he said that he knew that they were going to get to pro- promoted to the championship before the final even started. Was there a moment during the season when you were like, yes, this is, this is going to happen? Do you know what? In the League One season, probably not until the end. I knew we were a good team, but the, the problem was we were playing catch-up because the, the way we started the season and other teams were having a really good season. So, in answer to your question, I always knew we were good enough and we would have probably, this is a bold question, 
I'd say us and Brighton were on a par that season. We were both very good teams. Um, but I think I had a good inkling, probably with five or six games to go, thinking we've got a really good chance here and this is going to happen for us. But I think, if I remember rightly, you know, Peterborough were winning games, Huddersfield were winning games. There was a lot of teams that were doing very well and kept winning. It was that we used to win, come back in the dressing room, before anyone said, well done, clapping hands, celebrating, it would be, how did Huddersfield get on? How did Peterborough get on? That's all we wanted to know because, you know, if they'd lost, brilliant, there was a bigger gap. If they'd won, there would be, you'd almost be a bit deflated. You'd be like, right, we've got to win again next week. But it, it, get, it gave you focus. So it was different because I think as well, within that group, there wasn't many people in that group had experienced promotion before. So we didn't, we didn't know what it felt like or what you needed to do get, to get over the line. Um, and Nigel, again, was very consistent one game at a time. Let's win next week. It's boring. I know that. And it's like you hear interviews and you want a little bit more and it comes across boring, but it works because you, all you can do is affect that game that's playing in front of you. So I probably didn't have a, a massive thing to think, yeah, this is going to happen. Four or five games to go. But obviously going into the Plymouth game, knowing that if we won, we were technically promoted, I knew we were going to win that game, put it that way. There was no way we'd work that hard to get to that point to play Plymouth. And oh, what did we win the game? 3 1, 4 1, I think. Um, so, yeah, and brilliant celebrations on the bus. And that's when you want a long journey home from Plymouth, I must admit, when you're just about to get promoted. You, you want an even longer journey because it was uh, there was a lot of drinks going on, I must admit, which was great. Well, I've spoken quite a lot, Oliver. Is there anything that, that you want to add? Yeah, I was just going to say it's been brilliant being a little fly on the ball listening to you guys go out. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to be a bit indulgent as a Saints fan again. I just want to know, obviously the Brighton game got mentioned previously uh, just a few minutes ago, but I wanted to know what was your favourite 90 minutes, your favourite game in a Saints shirt? Obviously there's been quite a few iconic games that you played in as a Saints player, but I wanted to know what was your favourite game that you played? Oh, wow, mate. Jesus. Um, <laughs> that's a great question. Oh, you, I don't know if I can answer that. Look, the oh, most you, could memorable... give me, you could just give me a few if you want or anything. I'll, give, yeah. I'll, I'll just give a rundown. Yeah, yeah. yeah, go for it. Look, it was a pre- look, to start with, it was a privilege to play for Southampton. Never thought, you know, growing up in Hastings, uh, local, you know, Sussex boy, Southampton was the biggest club within my location, if, if that makes sense. And never, never believed that I would probably ever play for them. But to play for them, captain the team, and lift a trophy at Wembley and, and have two promotions is is something that is probably beyond my wildest dreams. And actually saying it out loud now, I still can't believe it's happened. Really, um, and and I forget if I'm honest that it's happened. Now you, you retire, you never even think or believe I was a professional footballer because you just life goes so quickly. The game at Wembley was special. I'm not going to lie. Um, even though, I must admit, we won 4-1. I don't think it was our best performance. And personally, I can't remember even touching the ball that much, to be honest. But it was I didn't need to do that much. So in terms of a, an individual performance, but uh, as an occasion, that was amazing and special to be able to walk up the steps at Wembley and, and, and lift the trophy with Kelv and celebrate with a group of players that were a special group of players and to do it in front of the fans, you know, to have, I think there was what, 55, 60,000 Southampton fans there that day was something that I will always remember very special in my mind. And then, you know, there was lots of games in during each season where I would say, Oh, that was probably one of my better performance personally. And I really enjoyed that. But I think you always remember occasions and, and success and, 
I'd always go back to, you know, the promotion day. I think the game away at Plymouth was pretty special because it was almost there, but then securing it uh, a home to Walsall. Um, and actually, we played very, very well first half. Um, I think we we <laughs> we dropped a bit second half because I think Arthur's was still hung, hung over to be honest. So, um, but we won. We got the job done, so it didn't really matter. Um, and the fans running on the pitch and celebrating them with the fans, and you know, then being up in the stand and the fans singing the songs, and then to be able to do it again the following year. You know, we were very lucky. Two years in a row. Our last game of the season was at home and we got promoted two years in a row on the last day of the season. So even though it was nervy uh, on occasions, especially the championship year, because we needed to, we needed to win to get to the Premier League, um, we did it comfortably both times. So those games are, yeah, pretty special. And I would say they were my most memorable games, even though if I'm not talking individually, but yeah. the occasions were fantastic. But I did... You know, I did enjoy scoring that first opening goal against Leeds on the opening yeah. day of the championship. Me and Harry were, uh, we were I told taking, you, Ollie. I told you. I told <laughs> we were taking you, bets yeah, and we were like, which one's he going to go for? And uh, we <laughs> that, thought Wembley. Was, especially yeah. with my left foot, but it was nice. <laughs> yeah, that's what Harry went for. He was like, I bet it's that one. So oh, I thought we were all right on that one, I think. But there we go. Yeah. That's, that's a perfect League One summary from, yeah. from the man that did it himself. So thank you very much for joining us. I, I appreciate your time. My pleasure, guys. No problem at all. It's been great fun. Well, there we go. There's the interview, expertly done by Harry Tizard, aspiring sports journalist. I mean, professionalism <laughs> at its best. Mikey, Jamie, listening to it for the first time. What do you guys think? I thought Harry conducted himself like a proper gentleman. I thought he was very good. Uh, not even, not even joking there. Tiz. I We're thought proud he was of you, Harry. Job, Representing the pod, yeah. you did really well, mate. Really good interview. I thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah. You, should, you didn't say back stronger though, or anything like that. No, he didn't drop any hints in. Yeah, any, like, we, we, any we side jokes or anything. Guys, from the listeners, well, we need to have like a little inside joke, just like they have, you know. Possibly, we need to think of something that we can just possibly slip in. Mm. I don't know. Any ideas? Let us know. <laughs> but um, what you guys? What I mean, one thing that I thought was quite good when he was talking about Nigel Atkins losing his temper. What game was that? Tis I can't remember which one that Bryson was. Brighton yeah. down. We one two one. That was a, that. He painted a very good picture there. Thinking about Nigel Atkins kicking a bin. I thought that was quite good. But any other things that you thought were interesting that came up? Um, I I found the um him talking about the youngsters coming through because we always thought like how talented the players were and Lalada and Chamberlain and uh, also him talking about Jason Punchin being one of the best players he's ever that was played. interesting yeah I when Jason Punchin I mean he scored some incredible goals and he had some great moments at Southampton but he wasn't really part of the League One or Championship seasons I think he was on loan to Blackpool when they were in the Premier League so obviously showed his quality but he's not like one of the ones that you go yes he was like he was part of that he was one of our better players coming through so mm -hmm. I always find that interesting as well and like talking about the attitude of the players everyone having that drive wanting to go forward David uh, Connolly got a mention as well. What do you guys think yeah, about that? David, David Connolly was the first Shane Long. Like, that's yeah. how I see it. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> David Connolly. He yeah, got a good he, amount of goals though. He got a good amount of goals in League yeah, One. Did, I think he scored a brace against MK Dons when we no, that, was think... that was Jonathan Fort. No, no. <laughs> didn't like, the, um, was that the 125th year or the year before that? I can't remember. I think David Connolly scored a brace against MK Dons. Was that at, at home? Yeah, at home. Possibly. 
that was Jonathan Ford. No, no, I know the one you're talking about. There, we've played MK Dons more than once at home. All right, Harry. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh dear. Also, I'd like to say a man that's played with Jamie Vardy thinks that Jason Punchin is better than him. So I thought it was quite funny. <laughs> I, I don't think you said that. I don't think I you said that. Yeah. He's played with I mean, Jamie played... Vardy and Harry Kane, and yet you know <laughs> Jason Punchin up there. Esteban, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's Esteban Cambiasso he's played in as well as a plethora of fantastic <laughs> players Robert, yeah. Robert Hooth yeah, yeah. Can Jose Fonte Jose that's Fonte. true he spoke about Fonte <laughs> well he spoke about yeah. Lambert's um, work that he put in in order to get to the top which I thought mm. was was interesting because I thought he stepped up another level when Pochettino came in but obviously in Dean Hammond's era he saw that Lambert went from where he was at Bristol Rovers to Southampton, uh, to Southampton in that League One and Championship. And then I think personally, he stepped it up an even bigger step when he got to Pochettino because I think he looked even fitter when he was under Pochettino. So it really just shows how much of an effort and a hunger that Lambert really did have when he was at Southampton and obviously became an icon for the club with that hard work, didn't he? And I think that was because it was quite a similar group. That drive just stayed with yeah. that group players when it went from went from Pardew to Adkins, Adkins to Pochettino, it was that same similar group that had that drive, that had that willingness to go. And it is incredible that these sort of players like Lambert, Lalana and and them lot, they all made their step up into the Premier League with the same it was the same group mostly. And it is a shame that Dean Hammond never like is Dean Hammond, Richard Chaplow, that sort of group that never got their chance with us, Billy Sharp being another one, where I think they they have proven themselves to be able to play at a Premier League level. It just wasn't with us. And that yeah. is a shame to not have that. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I certainly think Dean deserved it. I mean, if you captain a side to the Premier League in back-to-back promotions, I, I certainly think you do deserve a chance. But yeah, I think, like we were saying, I think A, the great core mentality that they had, I think a part of it, what he said also, is all of them, they were just nice people. And I think that's the main bit. And I think they, he said that even though they weren't always best friends they all had massive respect or, or respect for each other and I think that that certainly helps in the dressing room when you're going for that one core aim and I think like we said that was that was the main bit about being able to get promoted from League One to the Championship, championship to the Prem because they had that belief and, and you heard that through that interview right there mm. and of course a lot of them did come back for Kelvin Davis's testimonial as well mm. so yeah. it, it, does, it does show the closeness of that group to be able to like bound together and actually give our players actually a good go at the time as well it was quite quite a good game to watch I, I got um, Bartosz Bukowski's, um autograph that game did you? Bartosz yeah. Bukowski <laughs> I really wanted him to do well I remember when he was at Saints like he was young he, had, he could pull off a good save but I can't Saints remember which game it was but he, he fumbled yeah. one and yeah. yeah never got it back did he? No, well, yeah, he, it's sad. he actually did really well. I think he's Didn't at he got Millwall. a Bolton or something. Like, he did first one keeps for Millwall for quite a while. Yeah, so I think he's he has just been quite a stable championship goalkeeper for his career, which mm. is a bit really good for him. But like, I remember yeah. Lee Holmes scoring a brilliant goal in that <laughs> testimonial game, like cutting inside yeah. the line, coming <laughs> in. I remember yeah, that. I remember the penalty shootout at half time because oh, I was behind. Yes. The, I you can see me in the whole video because I'm behind the goal. Oh, oh really? <laughs> that it always comes up on my recommended now and again. It's a bit of a comfort I'm on the video. Thumbnail, watching it. Are you really? Sure. 
I've never noticed. Next time when it pops up, I'll have a look, Jamie. Oh, thanks, man. Have a look. And Appreciate I invite it. listeners to go and have a look and see if they can spot a... How old, Jamie? On the left side. Ooh. Well, how long ago is that now? What, 20... Is Cooman's last year, so 2016? Something like that. Yeah. It's yeah. whenever Jason Punch and the next day scored in the FA Cup final. Oh, the beautiful Alan Pardew um, celebrates <laughs> celebration <laughs> dance. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I thought it was interesting as well when he brought up about how he wanted to be a uh, a captain and he was much more of a, he said a role model rather than telling players what to do. And he actually made a point that he thought it, it acts very negatively if you tell a lot of players what to do. And he said he'd rather just lead by example. Well, that's quite an interesting thing because we haven't, I wouldn't say, I, th- I think Ward Prowse is kind of like that in the fact that he just works the hardest and he is a consistently a good performer. And I don't see him, you know, giving someone the hairdryer treatment if it doesn't go right. I think he's another kind of brand like Dean Hammond where he just does try to lead by example. I think um, he got to as a captain. Yeah. I think it is also the demanding on the pitch as well. Mm. You, you can see that Prousey wants to, he, he is the man that leads by example and demands the most out of everyone with the amount of distance he covers and like the the way that he plays, he's probably been our most consistent performer this season. Mm. I'd say Ward Prowse, he's he's been my Second most game. consistent one anyway. Um, so oh. yeah, I think I think that is sort of the model that we do go to. And of course, he played under Lalana when he was captain when Prowse was first coming to the team. He had Lalana as his captain as well. So mm. Hammond sort of the way he captains aside got brought down to Lalana and now has been put onto Prowse. So it's sort of like a small legacy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. That we've got going on at the club. But Mike, surely um, Price must have just been starting his first team experience when Dean Hammond was on his way out. I think probably. Yeah, I remember him being. Uh, it wasn't Price like seventeen when he played against Man City that yeah. first Premier League appearance. So he would have yeah. come into the first team the season. And he's got that goal in the cu- the season before in the cup against yeah. Coventry as well. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. You can still see that kind of those takeaways and that club culture, obviously, because it's been such a a high point of the last a couple of decades or so it, it still stays in the club culture and it, it is there and you can look around for it but I was just going to kind of finally finish it off and see is there any kind of takeaways you can you can kind of see from that in the fact that how successful that side was to the side now is there anything you kind of go maybe we don't have that so much or maybe that's something that's not quite making us go right at the moment is there anything <laughs> like mean, that you can think of mm. I'd say a two month injury patch doesn't help yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. they didn't have that <laughs> yeah I don't think there's, the squad hasn't been successful for an extent. I say that they, the whole of 2020, they were quite successful, mm. even though it necessarily didn't show in the league because of the, the poor start that season. But we've not had a successful season back-to-back as a team, and I think it shows. Whereas in the sort of the Dean era, where you have the League One season where we missed out because of the points deduction, then we had the League One season where we won went up then we had the championship season where we had we went up we haven't had a core selection of players that have all been very successful together and hopefully fingers crossed for the next couple of seasons we can have that so that they can sort of emulate that but that the captain philosophy thing i do find it quite interesting because bar kelvin davis and jose fonte and probably ryan bertram from a small spell as well our last what five captains or so have all been midfielders you've got Lalana, you've got Hoiberg you've got Stephen Davies you've got James Will Prowse you've got Dean Hammond all five of them are those workhorse central midfielders that get up and down the pitch and I think that's that's a philosophy of the team 
Mm. Maybe not. We're, we're not a team of people that are going to batter people in the change rooms. And I, I like that. I like it more when you're an example and you show that both on and off the pitch. And that's that's exactly what what he is. Yeah. I think I think uh, one thing that definitely is different is I think he he talked about having that goal of getting to the that Premier hunger. League. I was going to say and, that, yeah. and it, but that was the aim. It's sort of like every single season when we're well, when we're talking about it. And talking about what's the best we can do, I think a lot of people are saying like ninth this mm, year. Mm. That's not like that's not a we're going to get to the Premier a League. Hunger, is it? Years. There's no yeah. to get ninth in the league. Yeah. I think that is something that is incredibly challenging, and why it's still <coughs> still quite impressive that we're in the Premier League. What nine seasons later is the fact that we've managed to stay up without being a top side like we've had we've had the highs and we've had the lows so i think that's still quite impressive but it is that hunger and that drive of because we're not good enough to challenge the top six so where does that leave us and that is a dangerous place to be because i remember palace being very similar to that where they were a very good side but they didn't have the the drive to go forward anymore and you look at like the stoke swansea that sort of team they pushed up had two really good finishes and then they went down the next season so I think that's something that you do have to be wary of and that nearly happened to us as well under um, Pellegrino and Hughes yeah it's very true it's very true you kind of hope that there is that maybe as the season comes down to a close and I think the the final is probably what the closest we got to as a as a target uh, this season and I think it probably has been quite deflating for the players because that was their kind of aim and we went, we are going to do a cup run and then when you come out of the cup, I, I wouldn't be surprised if some of them are scratching their heads and kind of going, oh, what's the plan for the rest of the season? But hopefully we do have that kind of clear aspiration from not only the manager but the board as well on what they want to aspire for and hopefully the players can get on board with that as well because I don't think Ralph has a problem with motivating the players but hopefully there's that long-term thing that they're striving for not just short-term reactionaries and things like that. Yeah. Perfect, perfect sum up there. You don't have Tez up there, Ollie, mate. <laughs> you know, I mean, minus the minus the voice breaking it. It's <laughs> well, well summed up. Yeah, you know, oh, he, he's dear. rubbed off on me, hasn't he? But I think, <laughs> go on then. If I've summed it up so well, is there anything else to cover, or do we want to leave it there for for I this afternoon? Um, friends, when are we uploading this, boys? We could do a little Leicester preview, but I guess I'm not sure what is today. No, I, I'd rather not. <laughs> I'll be well, honest, I'd rather. Well, as a, as future listeners, we're going to win the Leicester game. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you're saying you talk about it on Twitter. Eh? Yeah, well, <laughs> maybe. We'll see, we'll see, we'll see. Right. Oh. Jamie, would you ever so pleasantly let the uh, oh. the listeners say goodbye? Or you say goodbye to the listeners? Oh, yeah. Will you say goodbye, Ollie? Well, I mean, before I do that, I'll say don't forget to check out our social medias, everyone. Saints Prime on Instagram, Saints Prime Pod on Twitter. And that's about it, really, I think. Don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That really does push us up the table as we are slowly and steadily catching up on our competitors. <laughs> Not competitive at all. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Mikey, yep. be quiet. Thank you. <laughs> and goodbye from the boys. Say your goodbye. words, everyone. See ya. Bye.